Hey, Chrissy here. I am a landscape architect and the owner of Kismet Design. I am a very process-driven designer, and I love sharing what I do and how I do it with anyone who's interested. Reaching your true potential and achieving your own personal goals will not happen by chance. You have to set your intentions, make a plan, and do the work. Thank you for joining me to nerd out on design. Don't forget to subscribe and to share too. Let's create something great together. Contracts are a vital part of business. They are not flashy or exciting, but oh so important. The most important part of your contract from a legal stance is that it protects you from undue liability. From a functional standpoint, the most important aspect is that it clearly conveys the expectation of cost and scope of work agreed upon between you and your client. Contracts come in all shapes and sizes. They can be just as unique and individualized as each designer out there. Your workflow will determine how the contract is drafted as well as how it is presented. Many designers meet with their clients, then head back to the office to brainstorm and draft their contract. That allows you the time and mental space to think through the costs, time, and scope thoroughly before presenting the contract. From there, some designers simply email the contract for review, while others may present it in person or over the phone. Whatever works best for you. Personally, I present my contracts a little bit differently. I prepare and present my contract at the initial consultation meeting. This saves me time and an extra trip to the job site. I will admit, this is not the best method for everyone, but it does work really well for me. The format of my contract allows me to do this effectively. I also print my contracts on triplicate paper. That way I can fill it out right in front of the client and I have a copy and they have a copy. To do this, I do some prep work ahead of time so that I have a rough range expectation of the design cost prior to meeting. Before meeting with the client, I review their questionnaire as well as any site documents they have provided or I have gathered. Old real estate photos are a great resource as well, if they're available. Then I tally up the hours that I expect a project like what I'm expecting based on that information would take. I have a template that I have printed in each new client folder to tally those hours. That template lists out the stages of the design from initial meeting, property research, site measurements, each meeting, each design stage, document preparation, etc. I take that tally and multiply it by my hourly rate and write down on that sheet and over and an under with a few more and a few less hours to give me an expected range of what I think the design fee should be. Then when I meet with the client, all I have to do is mentally say either yes, this fits what I expected, or no, it is either a little bit simpler or a little bit more complicated, and then I adjust that number appropriately. My contract contains checkboxes for scope elements that I walk through with the client to make sure that we are all on the same page. The majority of my clients are ready and prepared to sign that contract at the consultation meeting and then I can stay and take measurements afterwards. 
again, this is a prep ahead of time. I let them know that they will receive the contract at that meeting. So they're prepared to review and make a decision. And then I also let them know that if they're ready to move forward at that meeting, once I've presented the contract, that ideally I plan to stay that same day and take site measurements. That way they're not blindsided with getting feeling pressured into making a decision. They already know up front that the decision is expected to be made at that meeting. I don't force people to, but I would say 99% of the time, that's when they make the decision. This streamlines the efficiency of my initial client meetings. With the proper prep, I'm completely comfortable thinking on my feet and providing the design fee and contract in the meeting. But for others, this might not work. The biggest thing that makes me comfortable in doing so is the initial prep work in reviewing the client questionnaire so I know what elements are included. I know if they have tricky situations with grades or needing retaining walls or if there's potential permit issues that might come up. And I also have the ability to do that quick checklist of how many hours I expect it to take. That way, when I get to that client meeting, I don't have to tally all of those hours and do the math in my head. I've already done the math and I just have to do a quick gut check of if it fits what I expected or not. But some designers do need a little bit more time and space to think it through before feeling comfortable providing a scope and a fee. So do what feels best. So now that we've talked about the timing of presenting the contract, what about what goes into the contract? How you bill and your workflow will dictate some of this. A flat fee contract and an hourly rate contract will look pretty different most likely. But either way, there are some critical elements that need to be included regardless to not only set expectations, but to build parameters and boundaries. Scope is a big and obvious one, so we can start there. Like I said previously, I have a checklist of elements that I check off for inclusion in my contract. That way, if at the initial consult and contract are based around designing a patio and garden beds with a fire pit space, and then later on the client comes out of the blue and has decided that they want to add a pool, you can easily have the ability and comfort level to state that with confidence, redesigning the plans to incorporate a pool will incur more time and therefore more cost than the contract covered. No joke. I had this happen once. I thought the client was joking when they said it, but they were dead serious. For those of you that design landscapes with pools, you know how much more time it takes just in figuring out grades, let alone fitting such a large feature into a garden. The viewpoints and the flow drastically change as well. Included in my contract, I also state how many meetings are included. This is one that can easily get out of hand, especially with clients that need a little bit more guidance through the process. I am happy to provide additional meetings for discussion and review, but they are at my hourly rate in excess of what was included in the contract. We all know that client that needs a lot of extra emails and phone calls and wants you to come out and review their revisions over and over, and that's totally fine. I just think that it's very important to include in your contract what the expectation is so that you don't feel like either you're not getting paid for all of your time or 
feeling like your time is being taken advantage of and you're kind of spinning your wheels. Having an expectation of how many meetings are included and how many revisions are included as well, that's another big one, will help make sure that you are getting paid for all of your time, but it also sets the expectation of what is included in the contract and what is additional billable hours. Deliverables are also stated in my contract to ensure that clients understand what documents I will be providing for them so that they're not expecting me to do a full-on irrigation plan because all of my contractors are more than capable of installing irrigation without me drawing out the plan for them. For those of you that bill hourly, it is important to still state scope and deliverables so the client knows what you are planning to provide. Many designers that bill hourly include an hourly estimation to provide the client with a ballpark of what to expect. This is really smart. It opens up the conversation to let them know what the total design fee might be. Clients that haven't hired a professional before may not know if what they're asking for is 10 hours or 40 hours worth of work. It also makes them mindful of what they ask you to do if they understand how long design takes, how many meetings are expected, and so forth. All of that is included in the readable bulk part of my contract, the parts that are on my contract on the front page. The things on the back are equally as important but are more of a boilerplate elements that I wrote with the assistance of my attorney and include things like billing, hourly rate, late fees, limits of liability, marketing and photography release, and all kinds of extra legally bits that, although I don't want to read, they do need to be there. The only element on the back of my contract that I intentionally review with my clients is the billing and payment section. And typically I don't point it out, but I do review that information. It's really important that they understand when payments will be due and what that hourly rate is for work beyond the contracted scope. And that way, when they get an invoice, it's not a surprise. Another thing that I have stated very clearly on my contract to make sure that the expectation is understood and in writing is what is included and not included and what elements are separately contracted services. So items like permitting, 3D modeling, construction detailing, I have excluded from my contract and I bill for those items hourly because especially at that initial client meeting, there's really no way for me to clearly know how much time those elements will take especially permitting. No one knows how long permitting is going to take. And then the other thing that I have noted is that that construction oversight services is a separately contracted service so that the client is not expecting a bid and the initial work to get a contractor involved as part of my design services. That's something else that I do know other designers that include a portion of that work in their design scope And again, whatever works for you is great, but make sure it's clearly stated what's included and what's not included. Another item that might sound kind of weird that I do have included in my contract, but I think it's really important and kind of comical that it needs to be there. Um, Again, it came from a previous client experience is having something on your contract that states that 
the person entering into the contract has ownership or a vested interest legally to be able to contract the work for that property. So without going too far down the rabbit hole, I had a client years and years and years ago that con tried to contract a design for their neighbor's property because they wanted to improve their neighbor's yard. And when meeting on said property, the property owner came out and was like, what on earth is happening here? Why are you guys on my property? Why are you guys talking about ripping out my trees? Yada, yada. You get the point. So again, probably not needed 99.999% of the time, but it is one of those things that I do have on there because you never know. And more often than not, I feel like this needs to be included when I've got clients that have community shared space behind them, especially with developments that have like NGPAs and um, spaces like that, that a lot of homeowners unknowingly feel like that is part of their property when it's not, and they'll start to develop it and then ask you and redoing the design of their space to redevelop it. And so I think it's important that they understand that they need to be able to legally own the property to develop it. And it also takes some of the liability off of you. If you are developing a design, you've got that recourse to say you, the client said that they own this property and they stated by contract that they can develop this property just in case. There are quite a few elements of my contract that I have repeated in my general notes section on my plans as well. Some of those items are things like limitation of accuracy, basically stating that I am not conducting a full site survey or a legal survey if I'm the one taking measurements. And things like unknown conditions, because you never know what's buried. I don't have x-ray vision and neither do you. So making sure that there's something stating that you are doing your best due diligence to ensure that you're doing the research and checking all the check boxes to make sure that you know as much as you can for what might be lurking underneath the ground or hidden when it comes to utilities. Things like septic systems are big, especially um, in a lot of areas that I work in. Even jurisdiction requirements, those are ever changing. And although I do my best to stick within those guidelines, there's a lot of things up to interpretation and there's a lot of things that change on an ongoing basis. So having that note basically stating that there is no guarantee is another kind of catch all cover, cover your backside note to have both on your contract and on your plans. These back of contract items are the same for both my design contract as they are for my construction oversight services contract. Although when you start out and establish a contract, you are getting the bulk of the work done. Keep in mind that it is your services and workflow change. You may need to tweak your contract over time. Every few years, you will likely revisit your hourly rate and make adjustments as needed, but you should also review your contract and make sure it still fits and that it feels comprehensive and complete for the work that you are currently providing.
overall, I think there's a lot that as a designer you can do to really construct a very thorough and robust contract. But I strongly advise having an attorney at least look through and make sure that you've hit all the markers that they think and having them really look at the wording and verbiage that you're using, because that is a really important thing that unless you have a law degree, there's so many intricacies there that I wouldn't even begin to know. So making sure that you do the due diligence, have fellow colleagues review your contracts is a great resource, but overall having an attorney review it is the most important step to make when you're establishing your contract. I'd love for you to reach out and let me know how you constructed your contract and what works best. To wrap up, I want to thank you for your time. I hope the ideas discussed today have left you feeling excited and energized. As I build both my business and my life, I value the support and feedback you provide. I would love for you to reach out to me to let me know what you think, give me ideas, or just to connect. Please don't forget to subscribe and also share with a friend. Until next time, go create something wonderful.